Before we get to our guest, I wanted to talk to you about something that's really important to me, which is privacy. Moving money around, moving information, sending messages in today's world with Web 3.0 coming down the pike, privacy is very critical, especially to a journalist like myself. Utopia P2P is a complete privacy ecosystem. It's a 360 degree approach to privacy. It includes everything you need to move information or value around the world. It includes a encrypted messenger service, an email platform and cryptocurrency payment system. It's fully decentralized, so it's not on any main server. It's based on blockchain, so it's distributed. It has an unmatched level of security. It has a feature-rich toolkit on the system uh, that supports 28 languages. There's a very low barrier to entry, and it also supports Bitcoin and also their coin internally. So if you're looking for a way to move information and money around the world where you don't want prying eyes uh, looking at what you're doing, go to Utopia P2P and have complete privacy on their system. And now let's get to our guest. All right. So today in American Conversations, we are privileged to have Greg Glaser, who is with his own firm, uh, joining us to unpack the latest Supreme Court decision on mandated uh, vaccinations uh, for under OSHA, as well as for the healthcare workers across America. And then we're going to get to um, another case that he's involved in, which has to do with vaccinated versus unvaccinated. So first, Greg, first of all, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, and I'm glad you know we talked earlier in the week since the decision came down. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here, Christine. I'm a big fan of your work. Thank you. Uh, so here, here's what I think we should do, because I want the American public to understand. A lot of people don't understand you know, where this goes from here. It's not over. I mean, it clearly, clearly is not over from the split vote uh, on the Supreme Court this week. So let's how did this case start and you came in uh representing frontline doctors and there are a number of people that are on the amicus brief that you filed uh in the supreme court so you're you know you're in the weeds of it but give us the give us the story about how the case got started and how it ended up at the supreme court sure so i represent america's frontline doctors and I filed an amicus brief in the OSHA case. So I'll start by talking about the OSHA case. Okay. OSHA is a bureaucracy that regulates worker safety. And so OSHA has a history of implementing rules that will direct how workplaces implement safety standards for their workers. And the Biden administration wanted to mandate vaccines. So they looked for a workaround or a way to mandate vaccines upon the entire American workforce, which is approximately 100 million Americans. Mm -hmm. OSHA has never done anything that large before. And so and this, this was after it became really clear that the U.S. Congress was not going to take action like this. That correct? is correct. The United States Supreme Court highlighted exactly that point, Christine, that Congress rejected what the Biden administration wanted to do. But the Biden administration did it anyway through OSHA bureaucracy. And the question before the court, therefore, was does OSHA have the power to issue such a sweeping mandate that applies to all workforces, workforces of every caliber, shape and size? It's everything from lumber yards to service industries. Those are two incredibly different workplaces. You, know, you couldn't be more different than an office in a lumber yard. It's just different standards, different requirements, different safety. Yet OSHA issued this one size fits all vaccine mandate for everyone. 
was called. And this was for, this was for companies that had a hundred employee, a uh, uh, hundred or more employees in America, correct? That, that is correct. It was one of the standards that OSHA set, and therefore, that um, when you look at the number of employees at companies of one hundred or more employees, that's eighty-four million Americans. So. That's the majority of the workforce of the American workforce. We've got, we have a population of about 330 million in the United States. That's correct. Okay. So, so it, the, the case for originally began which, which state? I don't know that answer, but I do know that it, it um, was challenged in, in every single jurisdiction that um, every, uh, every, circuit. There's multiple circuits in the United States. These are appellate districts. For example, the Ninth Circuit covers California, Oregon, mm -hmm. etc. Um, every circuit had one of these OSHA challenges. And so they all got consolidated mm -hmm. in the Sixth Circuit. And which is which is where? I mean, ge geographically, just so people know, where's the Sixth, sixth it's Circuit? It's in it's in the it's in the South. Okay. Um, I actually no, I'm thinking of the Fifth Circuit. Um, I, I I forget. All right. So so but so it's the Sixth Circuit, and it went to and and it, was this was this the case that culminated because you you had a bunch of the AGs and all the states get together and say no 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 we don't want to do this and they filed the cases individually and then it got consolidated. The the AGs were involved, yes, mm -hmm. and the um, but the driving force of the case that went up before the Supreme Court was the trade associations actually it was the large businesses large trade association businesses that represented tens of millions of americans said this is going to absolutely decimate our businesses because mm -hmm. people are going to walk off the job uh, mm -hmm. everyone who didn't want everyone who doesn't want the vaccine didn't get it and they're not gonna get it and so if you try to mandate them to get it they're just gonna walk off it's not like they're going to say, oh, OK, well, if OSHA has the power, now I'll inject myself. And so so there's we, really no health. There's no, you know, it, it's we, like, this isn't about health. It's about force. Right. And, and we've seen that even healthcare workers who were working um, in administering, health, you know, administering care to COVID diseased patients in the hospitals, even those those health employees have said, no, we don't want it. And some of them quit their jobs. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. so it gets to the Supreme Court. You're representing frontline doctors. Uh, a bunch of the trade associations are there. So the decision came down, and I thought it was very interesting how it broke, because I think it was uh, Justice Gorsuch who quoted uh, Ron Klain's tweet that he put out. And for people who are who are you know outside of the Beltway and have no idea who Ron Klain is, Ron Klain um, is the chief of staff for President Biden. Under the Obama administration, he was the Ebola czar, for lack of a better word. And um, when he left the Obama administration, he was working for Steve Case, who started AOL, at his revolution company, and um, which is kind of interesting from my observation because Steve Case's wife, Jean, is also the chair of the board of National Geographic, which we have all observed in the last year as instead of reporting on science, they have been pushing the pro-vaccine um, platform at National Geographic, just hijacking, you know, one of the one of the world's oldest and premier brands uh, in the in the business. So uh, Ron Klang tweeted out that they were shop. I guess it was Stephanie Rule at uh, NBC 
uh, tweeted out that, you know, Ron Klain was saying that this was a shop around, you know, however they could make this happen, they were going to make it happen. So they were hell bent to do it. They get OSHA to set it up after uh, President Biden mentioned it. I think it was back in August or September when he said, yes, we're going to do this. Uh, this mandate for all of the employees where they work at a company with 100 plus employees. Um, so they rock and roll with this. It gets up to the Supreme Court. And what's the takeaway that people need to understand um, what the, what the decisions were and then what the fallout is of those decisions? Because this mandated question, from my understanding, I'm not a, an attorney, is that th this is not over. Somebody else is going to is going to push this along and have it go back to the Supreme Court. What are your you thoughts? You were spot on. Yeah, this yeah. is definitely not over. This is round one. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons that it's round well, let, let me answer your first question, which is what happened? Mm -hmm. So the Supreme Court split the decision. Uh, they had two mandates before them. One was the OSHA mandate for 84 million Americans. And the other was the healthcare worker mandate for 10 million Americans. Supreme Court said OSHA cannot mandate a vaccine on 84 million Americans, but Medicare organization, CMS, can mandate it on 10 million healthcare workers. What's and the logic behind this legally? Because I, I really went above my pay grade. I couldn't figure out how they could do it for 10 million, but they can't do it for 84. If you can't do it for 84, how come they get to do it for 10 million in the healthcare? Yeah, it was all about power and precedent. When I read the opinions in both cases, I found that, well, first, the opinions were largely split down the political lines, the conservatives voting in favor of freedom and the liberals voting in favor of mandatory vaccination. And, but that's not a true line. It didn't mm -hmm. hold and all because of Justice Kavanaugh. Um, but let me answer that question that you asked, which is why did they rule on the power grounds, the jurisdictional grounds, rather than on vaccine safety grounds? Uh, Justice Thomas made it very clear that this case was not about whether, was not about questioning whether vaccines are safe or efficacious. The question was solely who has the power to decide whether vaccination could can be mandated or not. And who has the power is analyzed differently for OSHA than it is for Medicare. The reason why is that OSHA, this bureaucracy over workplace safety, has never done anything this large in the vaccine sphere before. They are treading on every single industry. My example of the lumber yard in the office being so different their one size fits all mandate is so broad and sweeping that it lacks the narrow precision, the tailoring that the statute requires of them. That um, in our system, it is Congress that is supposed to make the laws. And these, and I'll quote the Supreme Court here, that administrative agencies are creatures of statute. Close quote. Right. Um, the idea is that this bureaucracy, OSHA, they don't have any power unless Congress gives them that specific power. And even then, OSHA is only supposed to follow very narrowly the power given to them. And so here, that was the question that the court was, was analyzing, which is, has OSHA ever done anything like this before? What's going to mm -hmm. be the effect of this? And the what the United States Supreme Court said was that if OSHA is ever going to do something this big and sweeping, they need a very clear statement from Congress 
that they can do it. But as you correctly highlighted, Christine, they tried to get it in Congress and failed. Mm -hmm. So clearly Congress has not given them the authority to do this. So is that the underlining argument of why the Supreme Court decided that OSHA could not enforce this? Because I think it's very interesting that within 24 hours, President Biden is telling people to go ahead in the corporations and just go ahead and mandate it, even though the Supreme Court came down and said, you can't do this. Yeah. So, I mean, Um, who's breaking the law here? The guy sitting at the White House that's encouraging this? the CEOs and the board members that are implementing something that the Supreme Court has said is not legal? Technically, what Biden said is not illegal for the reason that all of the litigants in the case said that private businesses can mandate if they want to. The only question was, can the federal government force private businesses? Okay. So when Biden is said, so when Biden says, you guys should mandate it. He's, it's like a recommendation. It's not binding. So yeah, if, you want, if you want a seat at the table to lobby with the Biden administration, then you better mandate. That's what I, he says. I think that's the reality. What you've yeah. correct, I think you've correctly described the, the reality of the situation. Um, and you also quoted uh, a tweet that was very influential as well, which is this is a workaround. They're trying to just increase the number of people who get vaccinated. It's always been that way with public health. It's like the mafia. You know, we want we want those crayons in that warehouse and we're going to get them one way or the other. Come in at night, blow the doors open in the morning, but we're going to get them. This wow. is what the mafia does. Yeah, it's it certainly follows those types of of, uh, of patterns. And it's it's quite communistic. This idea of one size fits all healthcare. Everyone gets the same shot, the same number of shots. Everyone's treated the same. They analyze the data the same. For example, you know, I'm a healthy 43 year old. And I exercise, I eat well, eat all organic. And yet I'm put in the same category as a 70-year-old diabetic. You know, it makes no sense. It's communistic to treat us the same. What did you, what did you think when, when they um, had the oral arguments and uh, Justice Sotomayor? Uh, I mean, I, I thought, you know, it, this woman doesn't, doesn't, I mean, if you get a case as big as this that affects 100 million people in America, all right, that, that takes a federal agency that dictates somebody's health to maintain their job. And the justice was quoting absolutely dead on misinformation, disinformation about hospitalizations, vaccine safeties. And then when people uh, were coming to me and said, what do you think? I said, well, my understanding is that she's been a um, childhood diabetic. I mean, she, she's had diabetes since she was a child. So she may be looking at it in terms of more fear as opposed to the constitutional question of whether or not this is even legal to do. Because I couldn't believe how, how ignorant this woman is to sit on the Supreme Court if she doesn't know the facts about that these uh, shots are not safe and effective for everybody that takes it. Correct. You know, you, you raise you raise two really good points right there. I want to address them both. One is you have a Supreme Court justice whose life depends on insulin shots in order to you know just live. And so I, you know you got to wonder how much that affects her 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 judgment. So um, that's one one piece. I think it's very interesting. Uh, the second is the misinformation stated by the court in in the hearing. Um, repeatedly in the opinions, the written opinions, the court says, we, we are not a public health authority. You know, we are, um, that's part of what oral argument is there for. It's to 
you know, discuss and correct and things like that. But with that said, as my client, America's Frontline Doctors, posted after the hearing, the Supreme Court justices made several false statements during the oral argument. One, the jab prevents transmission. That's not true. That, well, not only is it not true, but Greg, let me stop you there for the audience that realizes this, because there's so much misinformation, disinformation. Uh, and I'm not saying that Fauci tells the truth. I'm not saying that Bill Gates tell the truth. But the beginning of the rollout of these vaccinations, I mean, Fauci, every single time he had his face on television or in front of the White House press corps, he was saying that these are safe and effective. Mm -hmm. Just recently, in the last two, two and a half weeks, both Gates and both Fauci have come out and admitted that these do not prevent the transmission of the disease, nor do they prevent it from getting from somebody who has had the shots getting COVID the disease. Absolutely. That was a key point. Uh, I actually cited both of those citations in my amicus brief, as well as many other major figures, major medical and political figures who have admitted it. This has been admitted by the CDC, by the FDA, as well as many others at top universities that these vac these so-called vaccines do not prevent transmission. And uh, another item highlighted by my client, America's Frontline Doctors, is that Omicron is not as deadly as Delta. And that was just glossed over by the Supreme Court. Um, another false claim made by the Supreme Court was that 100,000 children are hospitalized with COVID, many on ventilators. Not true, which makes you wonder where is where was that justice, Sotomayor, getting that information? It's propaganda. Um, it's propaganda. It was justification for the decision that she had probably pre-made before she went in there to hear the oral arguments. And, 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 and very concerning um, that it was not called out on the record. Uh, of course, with the scrutiny involved, you know, the public attention given the Supreme Court, it was called out immediately by everyone else, right, on the, online. The fourth thing was vaccine mandates would prevent 100% of cases, also false. And the mm -hmm. fifth is that hospitals are overrun. Every one of these points is was false. And so the Supreme Court, should be held to obviously the highest of standards as our highest court. And so what this shows, and this goes right back to your original point, Christine, which is that this is not over. What we need to have is very thorough briefing on vaccine risk, vaccine safety, what these vaccines are, et cetera. There needs to be a good case with good briefing so that the court can decide the heart of these issues. For example, when an American worker, let's say a, a lumberjack, doesn't decides not to get the COVID vaccine. Is he making that decision because OSHA lacks power? No, he's making the decision because the vaccine is not safe. He doesn't want it for himself. He's worried about myocarditis, et cetera. And that is what everyone is thinking. That's what's on everyone's mind. That's what people are talking about at the dinner table. And so what the Supreme Court needs to do is address that issue directly. And until the Supreme Court addresses the issue that these vaccines are dangerous, then the American public will not feel satisfied. They will not feel. So, so legally explain to uh, explain to the audience and explain to me, how does something that is so, I mean, should there be a lawsuit to say, get this stuff off the shelf, off the market, out of the market? I mean, I mean, first of all, how is it that the Supreme Court can judge whether or not this OSHA implementation is legal or unlegal, illegal, um, 
if the product that they're mandating may not be safe. I mean, to me, this is a safety issue. You know, it's not, it's not, did the government overreach? Well, what, what do we have in the law to protect people from being forced to take something that may not be safe for their bodies? I, I mean, I think, and, and somebody asked me that the other day, uh, neighbor of mine, they said, how did it get to the Supreme Court when they don't, it, it's not safe for everybody? Oh yeah, sure. The, the Supreme Court addressed that exact question, Christine, by stating that the Supreme Court is not a public health authority, that they only their only job is to, to is to say who has the authority. Is it the CDC? Is it OSHA? Is it CMS? So the Supreme Court saw their role as being the um, these are my words, but like a gatekeeper to say we're going to direct this question to CMS. We're going to direct this question to Congress. And we're not going to say what the answer is one way or the other. And so on the healthcare worker mandate, for example, where the Supreme Court upheld the vaccine mandate for 10 million healthcare workers, the reason the Supreme Court did that, and I quote, is that vaccination requirements are a common feature of the provision of healthcare in America. Healthcare workers around the country are ordinarily required to be vaccinated for diseases such as Hep B, influenza, measles, mumps, and rubella, close quote. The point here is that there was a precedent for mandating vaccination upon healthcare workers. So the court said, if, if CMS normally mandates vaccines for healthcare workers, then we're not going to interfere with their judgment for COVID-19. But with OSHA, for the 84 million Americans, it was different. They hadn't done anything like this before. So that's that's the distinction. So that's and their line. That's their line, their legal line of demarcation on and comprehending the difference between the OSHA versus the healthcare workers. But it also goes back to the, to me, the crux of the question. How can anybody mandate anything for anybody if it's not healthy for everybody? Mm-hmm. Ah, where there is risk, there must be choice. You, right. you know, you're you're really getting to the heart of the issue. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad that you do because I think what you're representing is is the American intellect. You know, this is what people are talking about at the dinner table. The you're, the questions you're asking are what people are thinking. And how, where does this power come from? This power to mandate a a drug in be injected an unsafe drug and. And it's, 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 let, let's be clear about this, Greg. It is legally, it's an experimental drug. It's a, it's not even a vaccine in the traditional sense. It's gene therapy. Uh, they changed the definition of vaccines and uh, in the dictionary. They included uh, the mRNA in the dictionary. They have used the word vaccine from the very beginning in 2020, saying that, you know, vax is the only answer to this. They, the CDC, the FDA did not give out early treatments. Basically said, if your lips are blue, stay home until you can't breathe and go into the ER. Mm-hmm. And the nurses that we were talking to were telling me all along, we're, we're killing people because we're putting them on ventilators. And, and the people that wanted to develop the therapeutics were telling me that they should be on blood thinners because this disease causes blood clots. So, I mean, this has been a fiasco, you know, from the very, very beginning. 
But now when we're getting into, there's the rollout, you know, the U.S. government and every foreign government in the world, you know, is, is buying uh, these vaccines, whether they're from Russia, China, the U.S., it doesn't matter. But the mandatory side of this, I think, should be very concerning to people. We, we, we have never seen anything like this. But how, how do we, I mean, what happens with this case now, with the, with the split decision Yes, you can mandate for the healthcare workers, which means more healthcare workers will probably leave because they 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 are looking at what they see in the hospitals, which is not good. All right, because you do have people who are vaccinated, who uh, who have even gotten boosters for these breakthrough cases. We have Fauci changing his mantra. We have Gates changing his mantra. Uh, Gates even came out and said we need to do more work for vaccines. Well, why aren't they coming out and saying maybe we should figure this out before we make it a mandate? Mm-hmm. I mean, who the hell wants to kill their 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 health industry? That exactly. makes no sense. Yeah. The, the the question is, where do we go from here? And does this case answer- go back? Does this case go back to a lower court, or, or that's that's it? It does. Uh, correct. The The procedural posture was whether the Supreme Court would issue a stay, meaning temporarily hold the mandate until it could be decided by the lower court. And further, this, that the Supreme Court would give some guidance to the lower court for how to how to analyze the case. So the OSHA case is basically dead in the water, uh, meaning that there's not going to be a new OSHA mandate. Um OSHA might try to mandate for a specific industry or specific type of workforce. That's possible. But the Supreme Court pretty much shut shut that down. But the healthcare worker mandate will go back to the lower court. And it is likely to continue to be upheld. But in the meantime, there's some the good news for healthcare workers is that, number one, they still have a religious exemption. So they can write, you know, a one page letter that explains their religious beliefs, why they're opposed to the, the vaccination. But and who, deci- who decides that? Because we, we have seen people writing religious exemptions in some corporations and they're not acknowledging them. We know that they're in California, New York, uh, Maine, Connecticut. Religious exemptions are not taken in. That is correct. There are departments within each em- where the the employer will designate individuals within a department to review religious exemptions. And they, they basically look for keywords, people referring to science or the dangers of the vaccines. And if people do that, then the religious exemption gets denied. So um, in that situation, the healthcare worker has a choice. They can either get vaccinated or they can leave the employer and seek out new employment. And that's, that's what these nurses and doctors and other healthcare workers are doing. Um, when the hospital denies their religious exemptions, they're leaving that employer and going elsewhere. And there is an, a growth. It's like a boom industry of employers offering employment to all these healthcare workers who are unvaccinated. They're saying, welcome. We have bonuses. Come on. We, we, we can't wait to receive you. And so nurses- Which I think is very healthy for a society because when you start putting people into jail for the work that they do, because they're not following a mandated, uh, any kind of coercive or testy or, 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 you know, it's inconclusive. Number one, we don't have the animal and safety tests. They're not going to be completed until 20, uh, the end of 2022, 23, 25. And so far, it doesn't look like it's going to be shining lights right. on any of these tests. Um, but at the same time, we also know that the FDA, the CDC, at this point in time, 
which is January 2022, we know for a fact that the FDA and the CDC, the NIH, the NIAID has withheld the injuries, uh, the, 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 um, they have, they have, they came out and they've admitted to the uh, cardio in, in, uh, injuries, the heart mm-hmm. inflammations. But we know for a fact that they have not come out and said that there are vascular injuries and that there are neurological injuries because the FDA would have to acknowledge it. The, the farmers would have to put out the warnings. People would have to have informed consent. And then the CDC would give protocols and directions to the hospital administrators and the physicians and the people that were administering those shots. And they have not done it, even though there's a plethora of evidence now uh, of people who have been injured neurologically and vascularly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These, these long-term injuries uh, and short-term injuries will continue to manifest. And the pharmaceutical industry has decades of experience of suppressing causation. And the only way to connect causation is going to be with control groups, comparing people who got the product to those who did not get the product. Everything which other is, than that. Which is a good segue into what we wanted to talk about was the vac- vaccinated versus unvaccinated in terms of health. Who's Who has a better health? And that's another suit that you're involved with. So tell the Tell the audience, you know, about that suit. Sure. I'm pleased to speak about it with you. This is the first time that I've had a chance to announce it in a uh, live broadcast. And it is that on February 8th, I will be in court before the Ninth Circuit Appellate Courts. Which is California. California, Oregon, Washington. And I will be arguing for the unvaccinated control group that my clients who are unvaccinated individuals have the right to exist. They cannot be coerced or forced into vaccination. And my lawsuit is against the president of the United States because all roads lead to POTUS. It is the president who signed the national vaccine program into existence in the 1960s. And America had solved the infectious disease problem before 1960. In the 1950s and 1940s, people were extraordinarily healthy, very low rates of chronic illness, very low rates of infectious disease. It was like the golden age. And then the vaccine program started, started small, but over time you can see that they increased the number of vaccines and then also a corresponding increase in chronic illness. It just keeps going up. And the more vaccines they add, the more that chronic illness increases. I have a team of doctors and PhDs who actually crunch the numbers So that's what makes our case unique. We actually know how many people are injured by vaccines. We know the rate of injury. And that, and so we presented this. So let's, let's, let's make this relative to everybody's kitchen table. So when I was born, I, I, I didn't have a lot of vaccines. I had vaccines, but it's nothing like it is today. And it has been in the last 30 years, but there, let the public know, Greg, how many more vaccines people have today than they did back in the fifties and sixties? About 70. 70 more today. The The children are required to get, and they combine them. So it's like a cocktail. That's what MMR is, the mumps, measles, and rubella. Exactly. It's three, it's three vaccines in one dose. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they have, so the, the babies that are born today, going back, I guess, maybe is it 30 years? Is, Is that correct? Where you have 70 more shots? Uh, you know, it would actually be, um, you would have to go back about 60 years. To get to that point, do you remember uh, a little sugar cube? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that. 
Okay. Uh, it was, well, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah back, back in those days, there were only just a handful of vaccines that people would get. And mm-hmm. the, uh, but over time, once you get to about my, my generation, we're in the 1970s and 80s, then the, the number picks up to about 20. And then once you get to the next generation, you get into the 40s and 50s. And then today it's in the 70s. And at every marker point, you see this increase in chronic illness. So you can calculate, we, our doctors, calculated the rate of increase in chronic illness to the mm-hmm. rate of increase in vaccines. And, and if they match, there's a number associated with that. It's called the Pearson correlation coefficient. If the closer that you get to a perfect match, like imagine two parallel lines, that's a perfect mm-hmm. match. Oh, that's called a 1.0. But if they're different, then you get closer to zero. Mm-hmm. We calculated that vaccination and chronic illness is a 0.99 match, meaning a near perfect match. Let's bring it back to the dinner table. That means if your doorbell rings, there is a 0.999 chance someone's at your door. There's a 0.0001 chance maybe an acorn hit the doorbell, but nobody thinks it's the acorn. Everybody knows it's Mm -hmm. someone at your door. It's the same with this. We know it's the vaccines causing this. And the public health authorities refuse to study this. And what I just highlighted, my acorn example, is just one. We have other and better evidence than that, which is that we looked at the health of 1,000 500 unvaccinated Americans. That's a large number. That's that's a larger number than many CDC studies. So, and, and what was the what were the age brackets of those people? All all ages. We had uh, 1,272 children and about 250 adults. And these are pe- these are people who never had a vaccination or got a, got got you know a couple of vaccinations when they were adults or, or- zero. 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 Over okay. Life. So this is a complete control group. This zero is zero vaccinations. Pure. Exactly. Okay. And what, what, what did you determine their health? We was? found with above 99% statistical confidence. So better than CDC standards. We found that the unvaccinated are 10 times healthier than the vaccinated. This makes vaccination the worst choice that you can make for your own health. And it, shows that there is no justification for the national vaccine program, which is why we're suing the president for his vaccination program, because the vaccination program is injuring the nation. It's not helping our nation. In fact, it's destroying our nation. And on the current trajectory with these chronic illness, chronic illnesses, we're not going to be able to sustain our nation if we don't have a vibrant people who are able to you know, sustain our workforce and our tax base, sustain our military. So what we did is we presented all of this evidence in court, including military studies that show even the military is having a hard time staffing because of so many injuries. They're, these young people cannot qualify for military service. They are suffering from diabetes, from ADHD and allergies, autoimmune diseases, cancers, even heart disease in young people. It's outrageous. And let me bring it back to the kitchen table. I love that example. I got that example from you, Christine. By the way, <laughs> um, the uh, imagine. Uh, I'm, so I'm going to give you a hypothetical, an example of what um, our data shows. Imagine you live on a street. On your street, there are a hundred people, all of whom are vaccinated. On your street, that means 
that 60 of them are suffering a lifetime debilitating chronic illness, cancer, autoimmune diseases. That's six out of 10, 60%, 60 out of the 100 people on your street are suffering. That is America. But go, walk over one street to the, where there's 100 completely unvaccinated people. On that street, 98 of them are perfectly healthy. And only two of them have any conditions whatsoever. And of those conditions, it's usually just one light condition like an allergy. It's the, and, and we know what that data matches, our example. It matches how it was in the 1950s. Do you remember? I don't. I wasn't born then, but this is what I read. That in the 1950s, when you went to school, nobody had special needs. It was like, you know, you might hear about someone in the community who had a special need, but everyone was healthy. It's like that. Well, this, you know, Bobby Kennedy's been talking about this. And I know over Children's Health Defense and frontline doctors talk about the fact that, and I, I forget the figure Bobby has quoted, but, you know, it's somewhere between 55 and 60% of the children of this generation, this current generation, uh, have chronic illnesses that Bobby's and my generation just didn't have. I mean, we, yeah. we just, we didn't have it. Um, and it, you know, it's hard for people to understand that, but I, you know, let's go back to Greg, because you and I have discussed this in the past. How many studies have ever been done paid for by NIH, NIAID, CDC, FDA, any of these alphabet soup, you know, government organizations. And, and, and it's important that people understand this because the FDA has been up until this point in time looked at as the gold standard of approval, even internationally, okay? How many of these guys have ever paid for a vax versus unvaxed study? I know that answer because the government admitted it. Zero. The government where did, has where did the government studied. admit that? People are gonna, are gonna, you know, they're gonna say, where did they admit it? So go ahead and tell them. Sure. The government admits it twice and they admit it in their there, uh, I'd have to give you the exact citation. Maybe we can put that later on in, in, the, okay. in the comments. Yeah, but it's in, it's, it's in an official paper where they are looking at the whole CDC schedule. And in this official paper, which is published on the government website, it says that a gap in vaccine safety is that they've never compared the health of fully unvaccinated children, and they've never looked at the whole CDC schedule. They've never done robust studies. They have the idea, they have... Um, they looked at individual questions, like, for example, does the DTaP cause heart disease? And what they'll do is they'll compare groups that have received every vaccine to groups that have received every vaccine but the DTaP. Um, let me give an example. Imagine that you wanted to see whether cigarettes cause lung cancer. Could you imagine if you looked at people who smoke 20 a day to those who have 19 a day? and they both have the same rate of lung cancer, you'd be like, well, there's no, cigarettes don't cause lung cancer because they have the same rate. It's the exact same thing with vaccines. They compare people who've received 70 vaccines to those who've received 69. They say, oh, look, they all have the same okay. rate of disease. Therefore, vaccines don't cause disease, which is outrageous. Right. So, so, so it, it's like if you, if you have bad information going into a computer, you're going to have bad information coming out of the computer. Exactly. All right. So so that gets into statistical research of how they do that. And that, that has to be challenged, which is what you're doing in the second suit. Mm -hmm. What about people who have been commissioned, advised uh, to look at vax versus unvax? I know Polly Tommy 
um, and Andrew Wakefield were involved with the Vax One, Vax Two. You know, taking a look at vaccinated children versus unvaccinated children, and you know, the unvaccinated children didn't have the asthma, um, the colds. You know, like a lot of vaccinated children who are affected did. Um, do we have any studies? I mean, you know, I'm not saying have they been published because, you know, a lot of times we know we know the level of corruption with a lot of the medical journals. They don't want they don't want those to get out. And the peer, the people who are following the Fauci's of the world will destroy that narrative in a peer to peer review. But who do we know that have done some of these medical studies by medical doctors? Sure. Yeah. The most famous of all of the studies was published by Peter Abbey and uh, when was Mark, that it, the, this would be like uh, he'd be like the Mickey Mantle for the Yankees he you know yeah. just a famous person just a long history of being in the vaccine field um, just someone who's super pro vaccine and what they looked at is they they looked at historical data saying if you get the DTAP vaccine are you more likely to live? And what they found is that if you get the DTaP vaccine, you're actually five times more likely to die than you are, which makes the DTaP vaccine a terrible health choice. And they published this in, and it was in Africa. And they looked at vaccinated children. What year, what year was that published, Greg? That was, I'm going to say, it was it was older data, but I think it was published about 10 years ago. Okay. And so, so that's a, uh, so that's one key study. But more directly on point would be the true unvaccinated studies, the which is where, uh, for example, Paul Thomas and James Lyons Wheeler published a study looking at thousands of children who have and looking at their medical records. And among those thousands, you have many who are completely unvaccinated. And you can compare their health to the children in the same practice who are vaccinated. And that came and that came about Paul Thomas. It was recommended to Paul Thomas or, or, to, or directed to him to do this study. And he did the study and the study came out that unvaccinated children were healthier than Vax children. And then it was it the state of Washington that went after Paul Thomas's medical license, which was just so insane because they he, did it immediately. Yeah. Immediately after Paul Thomas publishes this study. These people, you know, you know, th these people are medical fascists. Yeah. They really are. Uh, you know, this doesn't get anything to do with communism. This is medical fascism. When you go after somebody professionally because they don't agree with the Fauci narrative in Washington, D.C., yeah. and you go after their license after they after they tell him, we want you to do this study. And because he, he didn't publish nonsense and he published the truth, that's not a reason to go after somebody's. I mean, this is why this guy should be a physician. Exactly. Yeah. And, and he's in his credentials are, are amazing. You know, he's a Dartmouth trained physician and he published a book through Random House, which is a major U.S. publisher, um, highlighting that if when he used a delayed schedule, that there was less injuries. So you can see his progression. What he did is he said, OK, here's here's my patients following the CDC schedule and they have a lot of autism, lots of injuries. Here's my patients following a delayed schedule where they only get vaccinated at like age two or three. And then there's less injuries. And then here's my completely unvaccinated group. And they have virtually no injuries whatsoever. He's like, clearly you can see that the more you follow the CDC schedule, the worse your patient outcomes. 
I hear it all the time from all of these doctors all over the country. And they all say the same thing. Many of them don't vaccinate their own children for that very reason. They, they personally observe that you achieve better health for your patients if you do not follow the CDC schedule. And you know, this, remind, this reminds me of uh, what needs to be done. Okay. And I remember when the Boston Catholic Church sex scandal imploded and Cardinal Law refused to resign. It took 90, and, and I know this because my, my late father was involved with, with helping some of these priests, the good priests. Uh, there were 90 Catholic good priests who signed a letter and said, Law, you need to resign. Yeah. I think the lawyer, not the lawyers, the physicians who understand what's really going on, they need to call for Fauci's resignation because oh, yeah. if they call for Fauci's resignation, this isn't the American public. This isn't politics. This is basically people in the healthcare profession that need to uh, get rid of this guy because this guy's a dictator. Oh yeah, and he's not—he's not for public health. Right. He's not even science because if he were following science, he would be open to vax versus unvax studies. He would be open to the truth that too many vaccines in a shorter period of time produces an enormous amount of health issues for kids. Even if it's spread over time, it still contributes to it. But if you compare it to unvaxed, they're healthier kids. I mean, this, this doesn't, you don't even have to go to medical school to understand this. This is a matter of yes. arithmetic. Exactly. Thank you. That's in fact, that's one of the most important points that I can make today, which is that it's not the complexity. That's my strongest argument. It is the simplicity. You just mm -hmm. compare people who got the product to those who didn't. And all mm -hmm. you do is you just count their diagnoses and you, and the quality of those diagnoses. It's so simple. It's what Paul Thomas did. It's what we did. It's what Brian Hooker did. Every single independent scientist who's looked at the health of the unvaccinated came to the exact same conclusion. We all use different methods. Some looked at medical charts, others did the standard survey that the US Census uses like I did. Everyone concluded the exact same thing, which is that the unvaccinated are exponentially healthier than the vaccinated. So let's go back to your suit. This is fascinating. Uh, you filed this, when, when did you file this suit? We filed it in December of 2020. Okay, so now we're so it's a year and a month old. Uh, yeah. And where did you file it? We filed it in the district court, federal in California, and it went before a judge who said, "You can't sue the president. You got to sue someone else. You got to sue the CDC, the FDA. You got to sue somebody, but you can't sue the president." And we disagree because all roads go back to the president, and uh, we can't sue piecemeal uh, either. Mandatory vaccination is a systemic problem throughout the country. There are employers mandating it. There's local jurisdictions mandating it. It is to try to bring a million lawsuits with a million different plaintiffs is completely unsustainable. That's what pharma wants. They want to, you know, but what we want is one solution because it was the president who signed the national vaccination program into existence. It's the president. It's the executive office that is the head of all of these Alphabet Bureau agencies that enforce mandatory vaccination. Have you sued Ron Klain? Pardon? Have you sued Ron Klain, who who was uh, you know who's Biden's chief of staff because he's he's sort of the uh, the vaccine czar behind the doors? Is that my? Oh answer? yeah. Um, no the uh, the lawsuit the current defendant is the office of the president. Mm -hmm. 
and the uh, which means that the that office is represented by the uh, Department of Justice. So they assign a United States attorney to the case. And at the oral argument, which is in three weeks it, uh, before the Ninth Circuit, interestingly enough, uh, only about 10% of cases are chosen for oral argument. And our case was chosen. So that's a good sign. That is a good and, sign. Uh, however, the court requires that lawyers be vaccinated in order to enter the courtroom. Uh, oh, now, okay. I, I do. I do want the audience to hear that story because you did share it with me. Yeah. Tell me what the before it got to the Ninth Circuit. Tell me what the question was beforehand, and and what is the appeal question for sure. the Ninth Circuit? The question is: Do the plaintiffs, my clients, the unvaccinated, have mm -hmm. standing to sue the president? And if they do have standing, is this relief requested even? viable meaning can okay. the president issue it okay so basically basically is is can you guys sue the, the president of the united states because of his uh national vaccine program correct okay so so he made it to the ninth circuit and then they tell you you have to be vaccinated to get in tell us what happened because that's sure. a rich story yeah so i've i'm obviously unvaccinated so i filed a motion with the court saying you can't mandate that i take uh, a vaccine produced by a corporate felon, Pfizer. Do you, does this court even know what it's doing? Um, because my whole case, you know, you put me in a catch 22. My whole case is that I'm challenging this idea that the unvaccinated are discriminated against. And here you block the courthouse doors. Mm -hmm. So the court has not yet ruled on that motion. They will rule on it any day. Um, if we win that motion, I imagine it will be national news. And this is the first program that I've spoken on about this this uh, this issue. So I'm really pleased to. It's very vindicating to talk about it. Um, the court is trying to put me on where where I can't advocate for my clients in person. You know that I would be I'd have to appear by I think Zoom, and it it's not it's not right. This idea of vaccine passports at the courthouse doors it is a violation of due process. It's a violation of the First Amendment right to assemble the right to petition government for mm -hmm. redress of grievances. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm, I make that point. Um, but my first, my first point, many other lawyers have read my motion and they said, this is very good. This is extraordinary. How, how, how strong this is. Um, and I made it that way intentionally. I wanted to call out the court and say, you know, first off, vaccines are not helping because they're actually harming our nation. But second, mm -hmm. what are you doing? Mandating this product be injected into lawyers and it's often overlooked that Pfizer is a corporate felon. Well, now explain that because we do. I mean, I, I understand that, but the public may not understand it. I mean, a lot of people and the thing that surprised me in the last two years covering this uh, COVID era is the fact that people do not understand how corrupt the pharmaceutical industry is. Oh, so, so deeply. And, and there's a history for it and there's billions of dollars that they've paid out and there's um, executives that have gone to jail. I mean, if anybody is going to challenge this, opiates is something that is most recent in everybody's mind. They yeah. need to read the book that was published in 2021 called Empire of Pain that goes into the history of what the Sackler boys did when they first started, uh, you know, after medical school, when they started the first pharmaceutical company and what they did in terms of owning journals, pushing out their own PRs. Um, their money was used to push out the PRs for the medical journals, and they were pushing out their own products. Uh, and also just what Richard Sackler Jr., uh, the decisions he made 
running the company, overseeing the uh, OxyContin. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a book that everybody in America should be reading to understand that pharma corruption is real. And it is and it's not it's not just Pfizer. It's it's it's, and, you know, it's accepted as a norm almost within this pharmaceutical industry because they're putting profit before people, which is the upside down creed of J&J &J going back years. Oh, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you, you've accurately said what I wanted to say, <laughs> that the these companies consider fines and felonies a cost of business. Absolutely. They, they, they just internalize the cost and they keep doing it. I mean, these are the same companies that when they want to test a new drug, they go and find poor African children and kill them. And, and I, I, I make... I do not parse words when I say this, that I, the, vaccin the vaccinators, the, uh, these pharmaceutical companies, they don't count the bodies. That's their whole game. And, but my job as the lawyer for the unvaccinated is to count the bodies. And that's what I've done. We show how many children vaccines are injuring, how many people are being killed by these vaccines. Once you have a number in court, it changes everything. Pharma never wanted to count the bodies. And the U.S. government was complicit with not counting the bodies, but mm -hmm. we counted them. And now we know you are more likely to live if you do not get vaccinated. You are more likely to thrive if you do not get vaccinated. How much more likely? More than 10 times more likely. It's so hard for the American public and probably just for any you know average human being on the planet to think that an entity, an industry is in the business of experimenting on human beings and turning yeah. them into commodities. Mm -hmm. I think it's that's very, very hard. And it's very hard for people to, you know, people can be fooled, but it's very hard for people to admit that they have been fooled and sucked into a narrative that could mm -hmm. harm them. And mm -hmm. I and I think, but I think that this is definitely a hill that needs to be climbed. Yes. Is there uh, so so you're and I'd like to I'd like to add that you sure. are a blessing to this movement. You know, well, oh. you've because you've come from helping children, protecting children, yeah, recognizing the sanctity of children, and you exposed corruption in the Catholic Church and did so to protect children, and now you have invested your time and efforts and skills into protecting children from the the scourge of mandatory vaccination. And thank you. Well, Greg, let me, let me, you know, I, when I, my light bulb went on in 2020 when I was covering this and, you know, it started off with the 2020 campaign and then all of a sudden, you know, it turns into an economic issue. And then all of a sudden it turned into Vax is the only answer. And I kept on saying, well, that's as crazy as war is the only answer um, <laughs> because there are other options out there. And I was talking to the nurses inside the hospitals who were telling me this is the wrong treatment, Christine. Then I'd be talking to people who wanted to develop therapeutics. And these are world-renowned doctors. It's not just the ivermectins in the, you know, hydroxy. Um, and they were explaining to me that the ventilators, just like the nurses were telling me, the ventilators were were harmful. What they mm -hmm. needed to be on was um, the blood thinners and the antioxidants. I mean, they were telling me, you know, eat, eat as many berries as you can find, you know, <laughs> and then they needed to, to develop something to yeah. decrease the viral load from the COVID disease. And that wasn't happening fast enough. And by July, June, July of 2020, all of a sudden, 
Vax is the only answer. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, no. If Vax is the only answer, this is corruption. Yeah. And that's that's why I've decided to we're going to get to the bottom of this once once and for all. I do believe and people do know this about me. I am I am an expert in human trafficking. And, and um, you know, the simplest way to describe it is that if you have a human being and you defraud them, you coerce them, you lie to them uh, for commercial profit, that is considered human trafficking, according to the U.N. definition of human trafficking that was created around two. 2000 and I've been covering human trafficking since then. Mm -hmm. And so I take a look at this just because most people think of human trafficking, they think of sex, they think of labor. No, no, no. There's internet trafficking, there's sex tourism, and there's um, uh, uh, organ trafficking. Oh, and yeah. for people to think that there isn't medical trafficking, they're absolutely out of their minds. It's mm -hmm. tougher to prove, but now it's all part of the kitchen, global kitchen table right now mm -hmm. about vaccinations. And I, I firmly do believe that we are in a, uh, a war where we are using human beings for medical experiments that harm them. That mm -hmm. that, that is, and, and mandating it, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just wrong. You don't you don't tell somebody what is good for their body and take away that. I mean, you're taking away somebody's conscience. Yeah. You know, and 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 th there has to be room for conscience in a civilized society. If there's no room for conscience, then this is not a civilized society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Americans are getting to see firsthand the shenanigans that public health has been up to for decades because mm -hmm. of COVID. It is mm -hmm. now the kitchen table conversation, how mm -hmm. overreaching public health is. Now, I will also point out that there was a Gallup poll in or Gallup results in 2019 that mm -hmm. put big pharma at the very bottom of the list of industries in terms of trust. Even before COVID, Big Pharma had the worst possible reputation in America. Imagine where they're at now. Well, you know, you know that's that's interesting. I did not know that, but you know, because I take a look at it from a historical point of view. I remember in the 1980s when I was at CNN as political director. That was the that was the first decade that we allowed the pharma advertisements on television. Then New Zealand yeah. did, and then you know we were the only two countries in the world. But when the internet came on the scene about 20 years ago with a big explosion. That's where they advertise. So when people talk about the censorship, the cancel uh, cancer culture now, I tell them, no, 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 no. People have to understand the pharma industry pays the internet industry to put ads about drugs on. So mm -hmm. it is in their best interest to censor anybody who disagrees with the pharma industry. This is all about money. Hmm. This is all about money. But the, you know, we still have about 75% of Americans that are on, that take prescribed drugs. So we are a culture that, that has been embedded with this pharma indoctrination of if you're sick, take a pill. Yeah. Uh, and now this, this global phenomenon of uh, COVID is really, I look at it as a window of opportunity to let people understand how the game is really played because they're at risk and their kids are at risk. Because when you start messing around with mRNA gene therapy, and then, you know, down the line, people are talking about transhumanism. Yeah. Uh, you know, AI, artificial intelligence. Pe people need to get with the program. There are such a thing as Frankenstein scientists on this planet. Mm-hmm gets it gets right to the point which is that pharma really biotech 
has developed technologies that are so offensive to the average American that they will not be published. They will not be discussed about. Mm -hmm. uh, they will not be discussed in the mainstream narrative. And so people are finding out this information from other sources. And so as a movement, as a people, it's very important for um, us to understand that nature has remedies. Our natural immune system works. It doesn't just doesn't just work for COVID. It works for everything. It even works for polio. Do you do you th do you think that um, that this program, the Predict Project, that was a State Department and was pushed through USAID, which is a consortium of international scientists collecting coronaviruses to test them that they're transmissible to uh, human beings? Do you think that should be outlawed? Because to me, that that that's, it seems extraordinarily dangerous science. Oh yeah. Yeah. This, <laughs> um, I think that science has reached a point that is so advanced that the only realistic solution is going to be an advanced solution. Meaning, uh, um, how can I put this? Military is the only way it's like, you know, how do you shut down a place like Fort Detrick that's doing advanced biological warfare research? You know, mm -hmm. only the military can shut down a military installation like that. So mm -hmm. I'm counting on, our homegrown, awesome American military to do the right thing and represent the people and take control of these, these wayward institutions and restore balance and restore our Republic. We, we need these guys. We need these guys we grew up with to really come through for us because they, they are us, these soldiers. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, it's heartbreaking when you see across the globe, all these healthy athletes, that are being oh, yeah. affected by this. I mean, it, it, you know, and and too many people are saying, no, no, this is safe and effective for everyone. When in fact, when in fact, they're not. Mm -hmm. It's really frightening to me how how um, ruthlessly um, people are lacking compassion for people who have been injured by this, and and they're not seeing they're not seeing the for, you know what's what's on the horizon. Oh, yeah. I think I, it, it comes, and I know that uh, Robert Malone calls it a psychosis. I don't. I think it's willful ignorance because mm. the information's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the information's there. I know fear has a lot to do with it. People are, are fearful of the co getting COVID early on. They think now if they take the shots that they're not going to get it, which is proven to be uh, false. But at the same time, it's not as bad as they think it is. It might have been because they were given the wrong treatment and they continually are be given the wrong treatment. Mm -hmm. Greg, is there anything else we need to know? Because you're you're you get your argument on February 8th. You're supposed to hear back to whether or not you can do it um in person or over Zoom. Will you will you please let us know? Will you come back when hopefully you win this? Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Thank All you right. so much. You and know, I also have uh, I have uh, real-time updates for people at okay. At informedconsentdefense.org. Okay. All right. So please come come back and you know let us know yeah. and, and and Godspeed. I hope I hope you win. I, Thank I you, hope you do. Okay. Yeah. I'm both God counts. bless. Thank See you. you.